thank you. We thank you so much for your goodness. All of our lives, as we look back, we know of your goodness. You've seen it in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your presence here among us while we're worshiping you. And Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're about to open your word and proclaim it. Lord, be with us as we study together, as we wait upon you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. Good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, in case you don't know it, my name is Brian Herzog. I have the privilege of being one of the elders here and serving and on occasion uh, get to share from God's Word this morning. And so I pray that we're encouraged and uh, uplifted and uh, inspired to dig deeper into the Lord and His Word uh, as we discussed this morning, wide, long, high, and deep. And if you're a student of the Scripture, you may know where this uh, verse is found in Ephesians 3, 6, 19, 16 through 19. And you may be familiar with this passage. Uh, that's kind of what we're going to share about this morning. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful passage. So let's uh, read it. And as we normally do, would you stand with me, please, as we read uh, this passage together. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. We thank the Lord for His Word this morning and its truth in our lives. So um, this morning, as you may have guessed, we're going to talk about the, the width, length, height, and depth of, of God's love. And we're, of course, Paul says here in this passage, it's unknowable. <laughs> uh, it surpasses knowledge, but uh, we're going to give it a shot anyway. And in our limited time, we, of course, will not be able to exhaust uh, everything about the love of God. But uh, hopefully, as we uh, share together this morning, we will begin to see uh, this love that has four dimensions. As we look here and see this passage here, it says very clearly from Paul's words that it is wide, it is long, it is high and deep. Wide, long, high and deep. It's, it's, it's multidimensional. It's to our left and right, it's in front of us, it's behind us, and it's above us and below us. It's surrounding. So if, if that helps your visual, those of us who are in Christ are immersed in his love, completely surrounded on all sides, protected, sheltered, and embraced with his love. It's completely enveloping, and it's entirely vast. It's so vast that Paul says it surpasses knowledge. It's something that we can't fully wrap our heads around, but yet he prays that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. And the end result would be that we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Have you ever seen something, gotten a glimpse of something that is just truly awe-inspiring, either in its beauty or majesty or complexity or, or something? Have you ever seen something that just overwhelmed you, that you couldn't quite wrap your head around? That's kind of the idea that we're talking about. It surpasses knowledge. It's just, it's, it's too much for us. It's overwhelming. I know as, as, we, uh, as we study God's Word, one of the things that uh, came to mind was that passage when Moses uh, was up on the mountain and receiving the Ten Commandments. He wanted to see God, and God said, you, you can't see me and live, but I will place you in this cleft of the rock, and I'll cover it with my hand, and I'll pass by and you can just see me from behind. And even that made his face glow. It it's, surpasses knowledge. It's too amazing. And so that's, that's my prayer this morning, that as we look into the Word of God and we, we see um, a bit, a glimpse of the depth of his love and the vastness of his love, that we're, we're inspired by it, that we're drawn to him and our faith is deepened. So we talk about God's love and Christ's love, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one and the same. So to talk about one is to talk about the other. They have different roles, but they are one as well. So we maybe could start, should start in the heart of Christ. And specifically, if we're going to talk about Christ's love, we should start where he says what he wants to say about his love. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus had been explaining the horrific judgment and wrath poured out on those who refuse to repent. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, that uh, God does have wrath and judgment for those who choose to not come to him. And he was talking about that. But then he turns the page and he talks about those who do choose to come to Christ. We pick it up there, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Burdened from trying to fulfill the law. Burdened from trying to uphold the law. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here it is. Here's a glimpse into what Jesus wants us to know about who he is. For I am gentle and humble or lowly, some translations may say. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So it's important for us, number one, to remember that when the Bible talks about the heart, um, it's typically not talking about the uh, thing in our chest that pumps blood to our body. And it's not even talking about the seat of our emotions necessarily, but it's the heart in Scripture is the core of who we are, that thing that makes us us, that thing that drives every decision we make, the motivation for our lives, our heart. And that's what Christ is saying he says, I exist gentle and humble or gentle and lowly. So given the choice to choose the exact specific thing that Christ wants us to know about who he is at the very core, these are the words he chooses. I am gentle 
and humble in heart. That's what he wants us to know. That was the most important thing for us to know about who he is. And for some of us, that may surprise us a bit. I mean, we expect sometimes the Lord would be stern and serious or he might be angry or disappointed or watchful and careful, at least, in heart. But no, he said, I'm gentle and humble in heart, gentle and lowly in heart. So what's he saying? He wants us to understand that his natural state of being is gentle and lowly. That's who he is at rest. That's who he is. That's the thing that drives him, gentleness and lowliness of heart. He's approachable. He's unassuming. He's not proud or lofty or haughty. He's not angry. He's not waiting for us to mess up so he can hit us with a big stick. He's not expecting us to disappoint him. He's not ready to accuse, but he's forever waiting for us with open arms, always, no matter what our condition or attitude, just come to him. That's the only thing. Whether we're, whether we're trying hard, come to me, all you who are weary. If you're weary from trying to make the right choices and trying to do good and trying to follow Christ, or you're trying to obey the law, if you're tired, if you're weary, or if you're burdened, if you're weighed down from sadness, pain, the things of life that are piling up on you, either way, just come to Him, He says. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. No need to get our lives in order. No need to get uh, anything in line. Just come to Him. He wants to give rest to those who come to Him. And if we dig a little deeper, John three thirty-seven, Jesus is talking again, and He says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. One of the most powerful fears we have as humans is the fear of rejection. I don't know how many people I've talked to that speak of that, that have been rejected because it happens. We know that we as human beings are not perfect and we sometimes get angry, we sometimes make stupid choices, we sometimes burn bridges and we sometimes reject people and people sometimes reject us. And that's a very hurtful thing. We are made for acceptance. We are made for acceptance with Jesus, that relationship with Him. And so rejection is, is a large fear among the population of humans on this planet. But we see here that Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Another translation says, I will in no wise cast out, which uses this double no, no, never cast out. The emphasis on it will never happen. Never, ever, ever. He will never cast us out. So he is forever open to us. That's another window into the love of Christ. He will never 
reject us. So God doesn't lose patience with us. He'll never say, you're getting on my last nerve. He doesn't do that. I know moms say that. Sometimes dads too, but that doesn't happen with God. In fact, he's not like us at all. We are made in his image and we share some traits, but he is so not like us, not even close. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. The passage uh, that you probably thought of when I said that phrase is found in Isaiah 55, 7 and 8. Let's read this together. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Here is that coming to the Lord again. Why? So that he may have compassion on him. That's what he wants to do. God wants to have compassion on us. And to our God, for he will freely forgive, not maybe forgive or grudgingly forgive or if he's in a good mood or if we've done all the right things, he will freely forgive. And what's the only condition? Coming to him. And so that seems a little off from our economy in the way we treat people. We, we are sometimes guilty until proven innocent, it seems like, uh, with, with relationships from time to time, not, not all the time. I'm not saying we're all grumpy and mad, but we have a tendency as humans to kind of be that way. When we meet a new person, we're kind of wary. And, but God doesn't have those conditions. One condition, come to Him. And the reason He can do that is the next verse. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, he says, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is totally other from us. He loves us. He's ready for us to come to him, and he'll forgive freely. And Hosea 11, 7 through 9, further illustrates how Christ is different from us. And this passage um, in Hosea says, So my people are bent on turning from me. This is God speaking again. He says, My people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. Though the prophets speak and exhort God, no one calls on him. No one. Pretty bleak picture of his people. And then we see this beautiful window into his compassion and love for his people. Verse 8, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? These are both cities near Sodom and Gomorrah, by the way. My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. He has compassion. His compassion is stirred up because of their rebellion. I will not execute my fierce anger, he says. I will not destroy Ephraim again. Why? For I am God and not man. I'm not like you, he says. 
the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Isn't that beautiful? And it's unexpected. I mean, is, is that the attitude that comes to mind when we think about God? I mean, sometimes not. Sometimes we, we assume that given the rebellion and hardened long-time rebelliousness of God's people, that He would have every right to say, I will come in wrath. I will destroy you. And we'll see here that He is wholly different than us in His ability to have compassion and His depth of love as well as His great mercy. You see, it's kind of a strange thing. It's a strange concept, but it's not our goodness that triggers God's love and compassion, but our sin. It sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Sounds like it's off, but it's not. Our sin draws him to us and his love and compassion. He wants more than anything to forgive us and immerse us in his perfect love. That's his desire. That's what he wants to do. He wants to draw us to himself. We have to come to him, though. That's the condition. We have to choose. God's word also tells us he's rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, I love these passages in Ephesians. Um, if you remember our study from Ephesians a few years back, it was so rich. Uh, Ephesians 2, um, 1 through 7 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Did I hit the wrong button? I think I did. Yeah, sorry. You can go back now. I got it. All right. Anyway, I'll read it to you. If you can go back to PowerPoint, I'll catch up later. Um, so uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, let me get to it here. Dun, dun, dun. Play the little music as we go. Here we go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sun's of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. He's talking about us before we were believers, before we came to Christ, before we chose to come to Him. That's what we look like. That's who we were. Dead in our trespasses and sins. That's an ugly picture, isn't it? Children of wrath. We deserved God's wrath. We were children of wrath. And here's my favorite part. One of the best phrases in the entirety of Scripture. But God. Oh, I love that. Gives me a chill right now thinking about it. Even though we were dead and children of wrath, but God because he is what? Rich in mercy. He's got tons and tons of mercy. Wide, long, high, deep. So much mercy. He is rich in mercy. Because of his great love which, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. We've said it a lot of times from, from this room. Jesus didn't make sick people well. He makes dead people alive. And here we see it again. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That separation from him drew us to him, drew him to us. Are you starting to see a pattern here? It has happened over and over in Scripture. Not only is He rich in mercy, but we're going to see that according to 2 Corinthians, God is the Father of mercies. Look what it says here. Paul is is greeting the church at Corinth, and uh, he gives thanks for the grace and mercy of God, but he's going to give us some more insight into who God is at the core. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of of mercies and God of all comfort. He invented mercy. I mean, he, he really did. <laughs> He's the father of all mercies. Mercy, the original mercy, came from the heart of God and the heart of Christ. He's the father of mercy. The entire Bible just continues to echo this theme over and over again. From Genesis to Revelation, this back and forth battle between the mercy, love, and forgiveness of God and our ability, our inability to obey, and even our stubborn tendency toward disobedience, and even outright rejection of God. From Genesis to Revelation, that's the story. But the center of it all is always God's love. That's the trigger That's the thing that wins out over our rebelliousness and rejection if we simply come to him. Probably the most famous passage in the Bible, it's been on people's helmets and uniforms and on screens and on signs and all over the world in many languages. John 3.16, you know it well, I'm sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved, because of God's great, unbelievable, wide, high, long, deep love with which he loved us, he gave his only Son. One of my favorite parts about this passage is the verse that comes after. It's not very often quoted, but I love it. Look what it says. Because God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, that's not the heart of God. He's not hoping that we mess up. He doesn't want to condemn us. But He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The Father and the Son are one on this. They're one on everything, but especially this point. This is the the point of all, our salvation. 
God's plan. And Jesus was, was the perfect example of that as he was here on this earth, as he walked among us. And we see in Philippians chapter 2 that Paul is uh, talking to the church at Philippi and he's telling them how to behave to one another, how to love and how to prefer each other and how to forgive and how to be loving toward each other. And he talks about Jesus being the example. Look at what it says here in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Think like Christ Jesus. And what was the mindset of Christ Jesus? I'm glad you asked because Paul's going to tell us. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to hold on to and, and, and save as his own. Rather, I love this part, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. That's a harsh thing for us to say to someone. Have you ever heard somebody say, you're nothing? That's, that's pretty severe. Christ chose that. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And yes, the word servant here is translated as slave, bond slave. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, a slave, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we know how horrific that was. It was Jesus' choice to humble himself and become a slave, even though he's also one with God. He didn't hold on to that. He wasn't entitled he didn't feel entitled to that. He didn't choose to be entitled to that. He became obedient to death. That's because of his great and deep love for us. He gave up his rights for us. And of course, as we're talking about the love of Christ, it's important for us to understand that it's not that God just looks the other way. He's not just some pushover that just says, oh, it's okay. I, I know you're sinning, but it doesn't matter. There's still a penalty for sin. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price for that sin. God does hate sin, and God's wrath is real and fierce, but at the same time, it's never out of control. It's, it's reserved for those who ultimately refuse to come to Him. But for those who do come to Him, God's compassion, love, and forgiveness is equally real and fierce. He hates our sin a little bit in the way a parent would hate the disease that's ravaging their child. It's much more than that, but the parent doesn't hate the child for having the disease, but the parent hates the disease, would do anything to take that disease away. Even more than that is the love of Christ 
to take away the disease of sin in our lives. So you might be asking yourself at this point, and in fact, uh, as Paul was teaching about grace, many people uh, started asking this question, so much so that he wrote about it. You might be asking, so with all this limitless grace flying around here, why don't we just sin more so that grace grows more. I mean, that's, that's what you're saying, right? That the more we sin, the more grace He gives? Yeah, that, that's true. But why, do, why don't we just do that? Why don't we just sin more so grace abounds? Look what Paul says in Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Another version says, may it never be. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We're not slaves to sin like we were before we came to Christ. We're not children of wrath anymore. Those of us who have come to Christ, those of us who have accepted Him and believe what He did for us on the cross, we are not slaves to sin. We don't have to sin. We're not perfect, and we will fall to temptation from time to time, but we don't have to. We're not slaves to that. His complete love toward us can motivate us to strive to live for Him. The more we love Him, each day, the more our heart wants to live for Him and obey Him and know His Word and know what He wants in our lives. And the more we get in touch with His love and His Word, the more we're motivated to seek Him even more and talk with Him more and pray multiple times a day. I sometimes pray while I'm driving down the road. Eyes open, in case you're wondering about that. But I, I still talk to God. I drive an hour uh, each way from, from here to home. And in the mornings and the afternoons, as I'm coming and going, is a great time for me to just talk with the Lord and let Him speak to me. The more we do that, the more time we spend with Him, the more we want to live for Him. But when we do sin, we have a loving advocate. First John one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Love that passage. We have an advocate. Such a comforting thought. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. To the Father. Hebrews 7.23 talks about Paul is uh, the, the writer of Hebrews. Some people think it may be Paul. I, I don't know for sure. But the writer of Hebrews was talking about this part of uh, the priesthood that uh, he's explaining that Jesus is far superior than all the priestly systems that had gone on for generations to this point. He's explaining the new way is Jesus is our high priest. He said earlier, 
He's a priest on the order of Melchizedek, who was a one-time God-provided priest who was Jesus in the flesh, we learned as we uh, studied Hebrews, for us. And he is a better priest. And he tells us why here. Now, there have been many of those priests, he says in Hebrews 7.23, since death prevented them from continuing in office. Of course, you know, priests live and they die, and, and so another one would have to come along. There have been many of those. But because Jesus lives forever, he's still alive today and will always be. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Because of that, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. There it is again, coming to him. Those who come to him. He's able to save completely because he always lives to intercede for them. Another translation says he lives forever to intercede for them. He intercedes for us always. His love for us is also a determined, unflinching love. No matter what, when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, the Lord's love for us will not flinch. It will not turn away. This passage in John 13, 1 says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of the world to the Father. He knew what was coming. He knew his crucifixion was about to happen. Having loved his own, that's those of us who've come to him, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And this word, the end, there has a meaning of like, the completion of the goal. He loved them to the completion of the goal. What was his goal? The death on the cross for us. He knew it was going to be difficult. He just before had sweat great drops of blood. He knew the pain and anguish that was coming to him. But he loved us to the end, to the completion of his goal. Unflinching love. Isaiah 53. Let me go back. There we go. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore every sin for us. Was cut off from God when he was on the cross. Remember, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because our sin was on him. God could not look at that sin. He was separated from the Father. He endured that, all of that, and more because of his love for you and for me. Unflinching love. It's also a forever love. Look at what it says uh, in Ephesians 2, that passage we looked at earlier, verse uh, 
6 and 7, this is where uh, he sealed us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, in heaven, as we live out our ages here on earth and in heaven, in the ages to come, he wants to show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus forever. That's his desire. That's what he wants to do for us. Those of us who have come to Christ can never be separated from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death, look at this list, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I think he put that in there just in case he missed something. Nothing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He wants us to know there is no way we will ever be separated from God's love, from the love of Christ. It'll never happen. But we have a hard time believing that sometimes, don't we? We sometimes think we're disappointing him, that he's probably mad at us, that we've maybe messed up one too many times. See, we, we have a chronic tendency to function out of a belief that our obedience somehow strengthens the love of God. If we can be good enough, he will love us more. And that our disobedience squelches the love of God toward us. We feel ashamed we're, and we feel that God is somehow disappointed with us in our rebellion and our shortcomings and we're just sure that he will be angry and not want to see us or at the very least give us a cold shoulder. But that is most emphatically not true. That's precisely the time he longs for us to come to him humble and open in our sin. He knows it anyway coming to him, but also confident that he will never turn us away. Those who come to me, I will never cast out. I will never reject. I will never throw away. Just come to him. He knows it all anyway. He's not embarrassed. He loves. He longs to shower his love on you. He wants to wrap us in his arms and bathe us in his encompassing love. One of the most beautiful pictures in my mind of the heart of God is found in the story that's known as the prodigal son, but I always believe it's about the loving father. Yes, the son's story is, is told there, but the point of the story is about the loving father. You know the story. It's found in Luke chapter 15. The, the father had two sons, and one of them asked for his inheritance early and said, I, I want what's due to me, and uh, you're going to give it to me. And the father did. The father loved his son. He gave it to him. The son went away, and he lived, one version says, he lived riotously. <laughs> he spent it pretty quick. He went crazy, I'm sure. And then there was a famine, and suddenly he was without money. And I'm sure his friends all left, too, that were paid for by his money. 
and he became desperate. So desperate, in fact, that he, a young Jewish man who would never have been anywhere near a pig, attached himself to a pig farmer just to have enough to eat. In fact, he was so hungry that even the pig food looked good to him. He was desperate. He was totally depraved. He had walked so far away from the Father, metaphorically. But he came to his senses. Are you following the picture that we've been telling of our rebellion from God? So if we look in Luke 15, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He rehearsed it. He knew what he was going to say. And he was repentant. He knew what he had done wrong. And he wanted to go back to his father. And he was humble. He came humbly. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, he was saying. Now here's my favorite part of the story. You probably guessed that if you know the story and you know me. So he got up and went to his father. And here it is. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You know why his father saw him a long way off? He was looking. He was waiting. He was hoping for his son to return. That's God's heart for us. He longs for us to just turn to him, just come to him. He knows we've messed up. He knows if we try to take the reins, we mess our lives up. It's not that he doesn't care, but he knows it. And he longs to forgive us. He longs to accept us. He will never turn us out. So he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He was open. He was honest. He knew what he had done and where he was. He knew his logical position. But I love how the father didn't even let him finish his speech that he had prepared, that he had rehearsed. But the father said to his servants, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The ring would have signified that he was his son and not a servant. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Sound familiar? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive in Christ. My son was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So you see, this, this story is not about the prodigal son, but it's about the loving father. And it's a picture of God the Father's love for us and desire for us to simply come to him, honest and open, 
and agree with him about our sin. That's his heart for us. He wants us to come to him. It's about how much the Father loves us. So our performance doesn't influence how much Christ loves us and wants us to come to him. It's not about that. Our performance doesn't win us any points with God. Just coming to him and wanting him. Are we beginning to see a little glimpse of maybe some of the width and depth and height and length of the love of God? And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a believer, this is the relationship we're inviting you to. If you've not trusted Christ, if you've not accepted him, if you've not believed what Jesus did for you on the cross, how he died for your sin and was buried, and then three days later rose from the grave, if you've not believed that, this is the relationship we're inviting you to today. To believe the one who loves you so much that he took your punishment when you were his enemy loves you so much that he planned that sacrifice for you before the world began. The one who wants to shower you and bathe you in that love forever. So we want you to know that you can come confidently to him knowing that his compassion and love for you is totally and completely unwavering. So, a question that we often ask around here is, what does that make you want to do? Maybe we should go to him. Wherever we are, not stopping to clean up our lives, not stopping to straighten our hair, go to him. One of the old uh, Puritan preachers from years ago named Thomas Goodwin wrote on the subject of the loving and gracious, merciful heart of Christ for us, us sinners and those of us who are hurting. And he also spoke and wrote of our reluctance and fear that we've talked about this morning of coming to Christ. And I love this quote from him. He said, just, just go to him. If you knew his heart, you would. If you knew how much he loves you and longs to forgive you, if you knew that about him, if you knew that he was gentle and lowly of heart and that his love for you was unstoppable and his love for you was wide and long and high and deep, if you knew his heart, you would. If you knew his heart, you would. As we close today, I want to remind you that we'll have some folks down front here. If you need to pray with them, if you need to ask some questions, if you need some clarity. But let's choose to go to him. Even in our shame, it's okay. He loves so completely, so fully. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for that love that we've looked at briefly this morning. Lord, Paul said it's an unknowable love, and maybe we can just catch a glimpse of it. But Lord, that glimpse of your love still overwhelms us. Still completely overwhelms us. But Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you that we can come to you freely. We can come to you unashamed. We can come to you with open arms, knowing that you will never No, never cast us out. You will always accept those who come to you. So that's what we want to do. Every day, multiple times a day, as we meet with you, may you fill our hearts to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed.